Blog Talk Radio. There was a time I was so afraid, so scared to do what I wanted. In looking back, I can see all the mistakes that I made, and I wish that I Talk to me and tell me I can change. Don't be afraid. Just walk with your head up high. Don't be afraid. Just take it one step at a time. Don't give up on your dreams no matter how small. Hi, welcome to Blog Talk Radio Safe Recovery. This is Monica Richardson and I am your host. Today is February 9th, 2016. Today we have on Rachel Bernstein. I'm really happy to have Rachel on. I've met her in person and she's a lovely, lovely woman. Rachel is a licensed marriage and family therapist. Um, she also has a general ed in um, credential as a teacher. She studied at USC. She has a Master's of Education and Counseling in Psychology and a Master's in Marriage and Family Therapy. Um, She went to Boston University, and she has a Bachelor of Science in General and Special Education and Teaching Credentials. And she also went to the University of Liverpool in 1985, Department of Education, Cross-Cultural Education. Uh, She created a private practice in Encino, California in 1991, and she is a consultant at the Freedom of Mind Resource Center from 2012 to the present time. She's been a clinician at the Jewish Board of Family and Children's Services in New York, and she's worked for fundraisers for Broadway Cares, Equity Fights AIDS, and been a clinician at the Cult Clinic of Los Angeles at the Jewish Family Services in the early 90s. Wow. That's a lot of stuff, Rachel. Rachel is uh, works, so works with families, she works with individuals, she works with couples, but most recently, she started a group for people who have left the cult, and she does one-on-one, one-on-one, one-on-one work. And she does. Um, she just started a group, and I believe that she's going to have online support as well. So with that, I am going to bring on Rachel. Good morning, Rachel. Good morning, Monica. How are you? Okay, a little tired, but I'm okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah, sometimes I'm tired. Sometimes I'm not right now. But I'm, um, I'm here and I'm good. And I'm really, really glad to have you on. So, um, you let me know if we need to end a little early because I think you have a client coming. So if you want to end like five minutes early, that's fine. Okay. I'm I'm okay for time. I have someone coming in about an hour and a half, so I'm good. I'm good. Whatever. Okay. Okay. Whatever good. Like. Yeah. Alrighty, so let's just start with a little bit of maybe why you became um, a therapist, where the seed began first for you. 
to become a therapist in general, and then certainly I can talk about how I moved into doing this kind of work in particular. But um, yeah. when I was uh, studying to become a teacher and I was working in classrooms for uh, kids who had different kinds of learning needs and special needs, um, I zeroed in on the kid who seemed to have an issue that wouldn't be on the classroom. Um, the one who um, seemed forlorn, the one who seemed unkempt, the one whose um, parents didn't pack them a lunch, the one who didn't have a coat during the winter. Um, And I wanted to know why. And I would find myself walking them out after school and and hoping that someone was there to pick them up. And and, and so I... mm, I just oh. wanted to make sure that everyone was okay. So someone said, have you thought about becoming a therapist? And I said, as a matter of fact, people have been telling me since I was about eight years old that I should become right. a therapist. Um, so I continued doing some special needs work and working with um, families who have kids with special needs and also doing a support group for the siblings of mm-hmm. kids with special needs because they have their own stuff going on by virtue of being raised in that family. Um, and then, you know, became a licensed therapist and sort of enjoyed it from day one. And when did you begin to uh, get involved with people who were in toxic groups or cults? Right. So um, there was someone uh, in my family who had had a brush with a cult when I was growing up, and so it became something that was part of my awareness, that Mm -hmm. this is something that can exist, and these are things that are sort of hmm, kind of happening in the shadows around us, that people can get controlled by people who... Mm, who really need to take them over. There there are people out there who have this kind of ego need um, to take over other people's lives and manipulate them and pull them away from their families and kind of pierce my naivete about that where I, I, you know, I think that happens with anyone who experiences Mm. something like that that's sort of outside the norm when they're growing up that they say, wow, this really happened? And then... Uh, I started doing counseling and happened to be that where I was doing counseling when I first started was very close to one of the Scientology buildings in Hollywood. Mm. And I had my first client who came and looked panicked and wanted to um, talk to me but was afraid to meet with a therapist and mm-hmm. and said that she was involved in something and she was very scared. And I found out that she... Uh, had snuck out to come meet with a therapist and, um, yeah, went back and then had to tell the people there that she had met with someone and um, then that was it. Then I was harassed by Scientology. They came after me and I thought, what is this? Wow. Uh, And uh, so I think they were expecting to scare me away and, yeah, it did scare me. I have to admit, it did scare me at the time. How long ago was that, Rachel? This was, I, I, I always say, like, the ink was still drying on my license. I was in 91, 92, and I got a uh, someone who came and was posing as a client but was a Scientologist. Wow. And then I got a full transcript of that session with a handwritten note at the top that, that said, just to let you know, we're watching and listening. 
Oh, my God. And I thought, this is a church? That was my first thought. Like, what uh, yeah. the hell is that? And, yeah. it, it, I, you know, I was raised in a family of, you know, of activists uh, from an old sort of Jewish tradition of activism. And um, I dug my heels in. I think they were expecting me to go away, but I said, mm, no, I'm staying now, especially uh, yeah. because people have to be protected from this. And who are these people? Right. So that's how it all started. And then I became known in the field over time as an expert in that field. Wow, that's intense. I didn't know that part of your story. I don't think we talked about that before. It's, I think that that's when they um, maybe the government went after them, the IRS. I think that if the IRS went after them again, they would be successful because of all the the films, right, and the exposing with Leah coming out, Remini, and with yeah. um, Paul Hakes coming out and writing his piece that – I mean, what she exposes is a lot of child abuse and child neglect that's going on in every city where they have those oh, buildings. Yeah. You know, I mean, they could go after them for that, right? You know, I mean, obviously they're not a church. Church doesn't, what is it called, pseudo, pseudo psycho? <laughs> I don't know what, there was a name from the 70s where it had like well, made up you know, therapy. Right, there's a very interesting story of a man who came to me um, years ago and he said, I'm just coming through town. I'm here from England, but I wanted to share my story. Um, many years ago, I had been working at a Dianetic center in England, and it was at the time that Scientology was switching from being just sort of a self-help group to becoming um, a church. Mm-hmm. And uh, they, they said that they sent in a seamstress to fit them all for new uniforms. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, he said, why are we getting fitted for new outfits and uniforms? And they said, because you are no longer going to be instructors. You are now going to be ministers in the Church of Scientology, and we're fitting you for clerical callers. And he said the whole room started busting up laughing. Wow. And they said, well, that's the only way to get tax-exempt status. So that's as much of a church as it is. Wow. So that's a very, very behind-the-scenes story for you and your listeners that most people oh have not heard. God. That is, you know, and it, when you were on my, the, the show the last time, like usually right away, like I can see who, like how many people were listening. Um, there's actually, there's no, nobody in the chat but right now, but um, they'll see who listens live. Very quickly you can listen to the show. And you were like gone. Like mm-hmm. I knew because there actually were people in the chat room and when it was live, it was like Oh my God! Like it, th- I really felt like someone had hacked my <laughs> my radio show or something. Was, and then finally, but it took days. It took days mm-hmm. for your show to like come back up. Mhm. Yeah, it, was, it wouldn't it, surprise me. It wouldn't surprise me. I mean, they, that's what they do. They do surveillance and they check to make sure everything's you know. Okay. I mean, now they have bigger fish to fry than me because they're. It's a PR nightmare for them, I know. But, right, right, they do. Uh, they have Leah to deal with and other people. And, <laughs> and, and the Internet right. that won't stop, right? There's, like, blogs and blogs. And I think when when it's the children who leave, the children really don't have a lot to hide. The children have more to tell. So kids like her who were raised in it, um, right. right, they don't have these secrets that they videotaped of them so that they can extort them, right? No, right. No, no, they just live that they live that life. It's like being raised on another planet. Um, so my listeners are mostly coming from 
uh, Alcoholics Anonymous or Narcotics Anonymous, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, where the uh, mind control can be pretty severe. And um, I think that it was listening to you and listening to Stephen Hassan that mm-hmm. these are the thing, three things I came up with that I had known this and I've left Alcoholics Anonymous after decades. Now it's, it'll be five years in uh, May, early May. But um, where you go to somewhere where they tell you only we can help you, number mm-hmm. one, that happens, that's really strong. Number two, yeah. you have loaded language. There's special language, secret language, thought they talk. Mm-hmm. That's like the smallest of one, but that's the special thing, connection with people everywhere. Two, that if you ever leave here, you are going to die, go insane, or go to prison. And three, that you're broken. Mm-hmm. And you have to come yeah. here forever. You have okay. to come here forever, or, or else, or, or what? It's not like smart recovery where they say, people go, they're so trained in our culture by AA. I go to a smart recovery meeting, which, by the way, if you're listening, you don't know this. It's a free support group, and it's also abstinence-based, but it's a real program. And they do have real trained leaders, if you know, facilitators, if you're the listeners out there don't know that about smart recovery. And there are more face-to-face meetings of smart than any other group um, next to AA. But anyway, um, now I forgot the point. <laughs> but I think what you brought up about the, the how to define what is a cult and, and an, a dangerous oh, group, yeah, I have yeah. some things to oh, add to the yes, list yes. if you want. Right, right. Help me remember. And they, when you go there, people show up. Thank you. Um, so they get there and they say, well, how long do we need to come here for? And they said, well, forever, how long you want to. Like yeah. that, you know, if six months is enough or three months or a year, some people there seems to be like a two-year period and people just then move on. We want you to go live your lives. People, I was shocked when I heard that in a good way. Uh-huh. But um, so I know we reached out and uh, so I would like to just talk to you about people who, whatever part of that, you know, um, as you've been getting to know Alcoholics Anonymous and 12-step mm-hmm. um, meetings and its program, um, even the way that my husband, I was like, God, that just really triggers me when you see a program. It's not a program. It's a fellowship. That's right. what it was, of people. And they had these steps, and you could, like, work your steps. But the way it was designed was really, it's really a bait, and what is it, switch and, switch and bait, or they can say one thing and out the other side of the mouth, it's another thing. Right, um, exactly. Exactly. I mean, I think that's why in the support group that I have now uh, for people who have been involved in cults and also included in and that or the loved ones, uh, the people who are living with them or want to be able to help them and want to have those insights that are shared during the group so that they can be more of a resource and be more of a support. Um, I have an end to the group. That's on purpose. I mean, mm-hmm. I can start it up again if you want to continue, um, but, you know, there is a beginning, a middle, and an end, and then mm, good luck. And if you want to continue, here's the next one, but that's your choice. Mm-hmm. Um, I I want to get across this message that I don't need for you to have to keep coming back. I want you to only come back if you want and mm-hmm. if you feel like you can get something from it, but that there should be a graduation, there should be a goodbye <laughs> and having you go out and see if you can use these skills and whatever you feel like you got, take it out in the world, see how you're doing. If you hit a bump in the road or if you get triggered, you want to come back, fine, that's your choice. I'm not going to tell you you have to in order for you to be okay, in order for you to have a successful and healthy life. I'm not going to make you feel that you can't trust yourself. 
But I think that that is something that's so inherently wrong in a lot of these 12 steps where you are made to feel that there's something inherently weak and wrong about you and the way you live your life and the choices you make, and you cannot trust yourself. That's very, that, that's very cultic. Um, that's very dependency-producing. Um, mm-hmm. It also is defining you. You know, you are this. You are mm-hmm. an alcoholic. Um, mm-hmm. And labeling you. I want people just to be called by their name, and that mm-hmm. is who they are. Right. Um, they're not defined by how I need to define them so that then they'll be dependent on me to get help with that. You know, the the other part is that um, while there, yes, there are methods of control being used and you have to go through all the steps and you have to do it exactly as it's told to you to do it, and if you ever leave, something bad will happen to you and you're broken and all the things that you mentioned, um, I think that there are a couple of other things that, that are also at play that I find have some inherent danger in them. And one is that you're told this is the only way. Mm, this is mm-hmm. the only system. This right, is right. the only way, right? There's nothing yeah. else that will help you like this. There's nothing else that has helped people throughout time or <laughs> since it's invented. In, invented. Right. Um, and that's not true, but again, mm-hmm. it creates that kind of, dependency, and that this is your community. These are the only people who really understand. These are the only people you should be talking mm-hmm. to. These are the only people who really get you. That's also right. true. Um, and also that if it doesn't work, it's not because there's something faulty in the system. It's because you weren't working the steps, because you did something wrong. You didn't do enough of Something I would never say that to a client. Well, if right. I'm not able to help you, it's because you're not taking what I'm saying. I have enough humility and professionalism where I would say, hmm, I might have not actually offered you what you needed. Let me review what I've said to you, and let me, let's work together to make this work for you. Um, not, well, I have given you something perfect and foolproof, and if it's not working, it's your fault. And then... Most of all, and this is probably why we're talking today, is that there's no safeguard. There's no governing body right. that can keep people safe. That's also true in a cult. Um, they're renegade mm-hmm. organizations, and mm-hmm. people mm-hmm. leading it can say or do whatever they want. And right. there's no system of checks and balances. There's no safety net um, mm-hmm. where someone can report that to someone else and it will be changed. Instead, somehow you're defamed for reporting it or being upset with it. There's something wrong with you. Yep. Yeah, wow, that's a mouthful. Yeah, I, you know, there were, there were a couple of posts. One of them, I've gotten a few people that got the film and then wrote me these really long emails of unbelievable sexual uh, predatory behavior. Some of it's criminal and some of it is just really, really wrong in a place that's supposed to be safe and helping people who are struggling uh, you know, then there was a couple people posting on. Have you, are you a member of the like addiction professionals group on Facebook? Mm, no. no yeah, that'd be an interesting one for you to join. I think anyone can join, and a group of us did it. And um, so I see myself as someone who's you know, a filmmaker. You know, made something about it. But there were people on there that called themselves addiction professionals that were saying things like, "Well, you know." But it does work if they work the steps right. 
Now, they went on to say a lot more, but what more do I need to say out loud here with you and I? They didn't do it right. And I was like, no, you don't understand. AA works for those of us who, when we, when we arrived, were already ready to quit, right? Mm-hmm. We had gone, I, I hadn't had a drink in two weeks because I was sick of, I had, you know, I drank too much one night and I got drunk again. And, and I was just like, woke up feeling, uh, you know what? Those are the people, they come ready. So that's like, they don't even count really because it didn't matter. I didn't really like the steps. You know, I didn't like the first half of the first one. I didn't feel powerless. I quit on my own, you know. Um, so there are many, th- th- yeah, just kind of some really weird stuff about it. But I, I really, it's definitely it's so good to talk to you uh, and listen to even a person who is not in it, who never was in it, who sees it very, uh, you know, object objective, right, and that you've worked with other cults that I think are more worse and worse. You know what I mean? Some of them are definitely... I think, though, the thing with Scientology, and tell me what you think, it is worse, it's crazier, but it's not embedded in the judicial system, it's not in the courts, it's not in the FAA, and we're not sending pilots to a Scientology meeting, or the Board of Nursing isn't sending nurses, but in a, the problem with AA... I mean, if we had a show like Mom that Chuck Lorre, who's an AA member, made for CBS about Scientology, oh, my, the FCC would be coming down right and saying, you can't, this is propaganda. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, you're, you are right. I mean, yes, there are some kind of culty groups sort of in this gray area that do, you know, have contracts with major businesses, and they'll do these kinds of employee retreats and, you know, the whole sort of trust fall thing that happens with all of these weekend retreats and, um, you know, self-actualization, blah, 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 you know, and and it's a pretty culty group. But, no, they're not necessarily going to be sending people um, to uh, Scientology, which is, you know, um, which is good. But, yes, AA is like this go-to. It's this automatic that people think, oh, I know where you can go. You can go to this just because it has PR and it has been around for a while and people don't know what else is out there and I think it's really incumbent upon the other organizations that are out there just as you've already mentioned one um, to really work on getting their name out there yeah. And, yeah. and having a list that is sent around to mental health professionals and to prisons and to the um, well I guess anyone even like the this is important too people I think people don't realize how much of a resource this is for people mm-hmm. who are um, the discharged nurses in hospitals and psychiatric hospitals, they yeah. often give a list of resources to the mm. patients who are being discharged. And I think AA is on there, and it's the only one on there for mm-hmm. any kind of addiction. So other organizations need to make sure they're on those lists. Um, yeah, I, I find that. that's. So I just made a list here because I think that's a great idea that once I uh, get back to working, um, that after I just wrote it down, a list of mental health professionals, prisons, psych hospitals, I put in colleges because now they're infiltrating colleges. We don't want that. Mm-hmm. Like I, mm-hmm. I, I kind of say sometimes I don't want to. I don't care about the prison. And they, they've been they've gotten in there so badly. But we do want to get in there. And like Smart Recovery, somebody posted um, that they really got in in a way big at um, in Australia, prison uh, for women. And there was a really great article that somebody posted about the success that it's having. Of course it is. It's empowering them. It's teaching them how to set goals, how to do SMART goals, 
which is like, you know, how to get to a goal, not just say this is what I'm going to do. It's empowering. There's no labeling. Um, they come out and they decide, like, they, you know, don't want to, like, you know, I've known people that are in SMART that their main, the, the drug that they abused was a pharmaceutical drug, mm-hmm. but they can drink wine moderately. Like, it's not like, oh, you can't do anything like in AA. Like, it's like everything, it's all or nothing, you know? Right. Well, yes. I mean, a lot of these groups are, are very black and white. And when yeah. you have that black and white way of approaching things, that things are good or bad, or you can be trusted or you can't be trusted, yeah. um, um, or alcohol is completely uh, evil and dangerous from start to finish, for some people, they do have a certain kind of physiological wiring uh-huh. where having a sip of anything is very much like it sort of goes right to the brain centers that are very much like a narcotic right away and the dependency kicks in right away. But that's that's a smaller percentage of the population than I think um, people realize. Uh, right. Yes, those people need to be very cautious, very cautious, and to not even have medication that has alcohol in it. Um, but there are plenty of people who are able to be moderate and who are also able and and have the power to be able to make good decisions at every meal, uh, every pass of a bar, um, uh, every celebration, that they can say, I know what is going to happen to me if I have this drink or if I have this next drink, and I'm going to make good decisions because what matters to me at the end of the day is how much I'm able to care for myself and how much I'm able to take steps to protect myself um, and that that's what's going to make me feel good and secure and powerful in this world and in my life. Um, and and having someone instead say, well, I'm an alcoholic and mm-hmm. I can't be around alcohol, they're missing the opportunity in those moments to test to see how much they're capable of being in control, how much they're capable of making those decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, and it robs them of those moments, I think. Yeah, I do believe that there, and there are some people, whether they can or not, like my story was super different. You know, I drank as a teenager and I stopped at 18. And But then there's people who didn't drink as a teenager, started as a young adult, right, and then drank hard, and it ruined their lives for 20 years. And then mm-hmm. they quit. Okay, well, that's it. there's guys that I met in the U.K., but they have two different blogs. One is John Stewart, one is um, Recovering from Recovery. And even though we're not on the same full page of about AA, but there's a lot in agreement, they had really, really different stories than a lot of us, including Tina Dupre, who was considered the poster child for Alcoholics Anonymous at 13, being taken there by foster care system. So what the heck is foster care taking 13-year-olds to AA meetings? At 13, mm-hmm. and then telling them, now, of course, it's better than her parents who were in a cult dropped her off and dropped her off at foster care and joined a cult. So that child is going to be really different. You know, I mean, that's terrible. And she was told that there's such a thing as called an addictive personality. Like I even watched, there's a show on ABC, The Fosters. I watched it for half a second and then turned it off because it said, well, you know, we're really all addicts. After No, we're not all addicts. Right. Like only in America, you know, I mean... But I think that in the culture, it's so it's just so enmeshed. So I think I want to talk a little bit. Let's talk more about your group because I know you did talk about doing an online support group and mm-hmm. started. And if you know what is it going to look like or what? It, tell us about that. 
Right. So the people who are able to come to the support group in my office, of course, it has to be that it's convenient for them to do so. And there are a lot of people who are interested in getting that kind of help where I can facilitate a group. They can sort of learn from me to the extent that they would like to learn from me, but also really learn from each other and share common experiences and some wisdom uh, and support from each other. And I want to be able to make that happen for people who are outside of the L.A. area where I am. Uh, and because I have clients who are international. Um, so I want to be able to put together a group that will meet, um, I'm hoping once a week, it might turn out to be every other week, um, online. Um, I'm going to send out information about that. If there's a big response, um, and I need to cap the group at a certain number, then I will start a second one and we'll find a time that works for all or at least most of the people on a regular basis where um, we can have a nice sense of cohesion and everyone is has already been vetted by me, which is really important because I don't want people on there just because they're hoping to be able to give people a hard time, you know, because yeah. I've had that. Yeah. yeah. Um, Wow, would a group so, show up in person? Yeah. yeah. Um I've yeah. I've had where I've had to block people at the door and I want to be able to block people at the door even if it's online. Um oh, Yeah, yeah, so, well, it's called trolls, right? I mean, you get them online, I get them sure you'd get them in your group. Uh-huh. Yeah, and there are some people who have been sent by particular cults to do that just to harass and and uh see if they can shut down a group because any kind of help that people get outside of a group um, threatens the group itself. And so that, that I've, I've felt that, and I've, gotten, I've been the recipient of that. So I want to make sure that everyone really feels safe to share and uh, knowing that I've been able to have a conversation with everyone first, do a little interviewing, find out if everyone is you know kosher, so to speak, and then right. we can all sit back, relax, and breathe and talk and talk freely. So um, when that gets... Underway, I'm hoping within the next week or two I'll be able to take care of all of the the technological parts of it, and then I'll send the information to you, and you can let your listeners know about it. Um, And I think it's going to be really exciting because I haven't been able to do this on a national or an international level before, which I cannot wait. I cannot wait to get started. Wow. Well, you let me know, and then we can post about it. I posted it all over the place about your groups and um, put it up on my uh, blog. And there are a lot of, you know, I, I, there's a lot of Facebook groups that have a lot of people that need help. If you don't, mm. you know, know that already, there's, besides AA, you're going to have, and some of them are closed groups, some of them are secret groups. So, but the way in would be to... Not the way in, but just to know that that would be just to get to the closed groups, and if you Google them, you'll find them. But and then those people very often have blogs that are completely wide open and public, but you don't know who they are. You know some of them, and um, but it's a real need. Like Tom Horvath from Smart was when I first was making the movie, said, you know, really Monica, you should start this. You know, like a support group. He said, there's so much, so many people who come to Smart who are, you know, have PTSD that are traumatized. And all they want to do is talk about that. And so it kind of 
you know, some one person's opinion that could derail the meeting. But in a way, you know, it, it really isn't. They're there dealing with their trauma, just like anybody. I, I understand it because people who come out and hate it really do hate it. There's They've spent a lot of time being of service. And, um, and I think the harder thing about AA compared to the other cults that are considered real cults is that AA in our media is not considered quite yet a real, but everybody, okay, there are people who call it a cult, but because it's so much in our television and film business now, there must be 20 shows, if not more, I stopped counting, that have threads about AA or NA. You have huge mega AA star films that that are like one big commercial for Alcoholics Anonymous with Denzel Washington at the end, you know, uh, talking like a stepper, and it's pretty scary, so you have people that are triggered um, all over the place with it in the media, where when you leave Scientology, you don't have that. You don't have the TV shows saying, well, I'm going to go to a Scientology, I'm going to go to a clearing session right now, you know, the guy who's on Law & Order SVU or something, like just as a side, oh, by the way, oh, yeah, no, I don't drink it when they're at the bar, you know, because I'm a Scientologist, <laughs> right? Yeah, so it's a little... It's a little more problematic, I think, you know, but here you are, and that's the good part is that, you know, I met you through Michelle and uh, the writing workshop, and that yeah. there is, that here you are. Now, I saw that you had a book already. Are you writing a book about <clears throat> this kind of stuff? Uh, well, the book I wrote was about a different subject. It was actually about divorce. It was for kids uh, for who are um, kids talking to kids about divorce, but it was for all different kinds of families not just for having families where there are, you know, there's a mother and a father, but if there are two dads or two moms or foster parents or grandparents who you're being raised by, I wanted all kids to feel included during this difficult time of transition and not feel excluded from the subject and the, the characters in a book. So that was that's a separate issue. But I have files and files and drawers and drawers filled with material for these books that I'm hoping one day <laughs> to be able to write um, because I have so much material. I have 25 years of accumulated cases and materials and, and lectures I've given and media that I've done where I've been asked very interesting questions and I've held on to them and held on to the answers that I gave because I thought one day this would make a great book. So it's something that I've been working on coming up with stories. Um, each, you know, it's interesting because each case, especially cult-related cases, is like a movie of the week. Um, and oh. so, uh, so it, I never have a dull day in my office, um, and sometimes I have to shake my head and say, wow, <laughs> when I'm done with the session and then move on into my regular day job and go pick my kids up at school. Like, I have to really shift gears. Uh, but, yeah, so I'm hoping to finally have a moment here and there to be able to collect all that data, put it together, really get it out there. Um, right. And if I do, I will certainly let you know and in the meantime maybe put together podcasts and you know get the word out there because again i have just i mean i'm looking right now as i'm talking to you i'm looking at my shelves and i just have so much material and i just mm. have to figure out a way to package it and so there might be a podcast in my future and uh hopefully um yeah I but think i, that you I certainly, go ahead what? No, I think you should and could. I mean, you really do. It's very specific and it's very deep, yeah. and it's very wide-reaching. And I mean, I have like almost two hundred seventy-five thousand downloads and listens. Mm. The people are listening. You know, it's free. It gets. It winds up on iTunes. Once you connect it to there, they can listen from their, 
you know, phones, which actually a lot of people do listen on their phones now. And you know, that's a lot of people. Like I used to reach maybe 40 women a week when I attended an AA meeting. Now it's I I, I average five six thousand a month. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. And, right. Yeah. I mean, I you know there are so many things that that dovetail onto this issue of mm-hmm. control, manipulation, undue influence, um, right. dependency, um, cults that exist in so many different forms: in a religious form, in a self-help form in a one-on-one relational form with people who are controlling other people. I mean, I think yeah, that's also... That? Yeah, will you talk yeah. about that for a sec, now that you just jumped on it? Yeah. Let's sure. Talk about that. Um, uh, I'd say about a third of my clients who I would consider to be where I'm dealing with cult-related issues are in or have left or have been rescued from... Um, one-on-one cults where they have become controlled by another human being. And I do think in the situations where there is danger involved and endangerment in 12-step is where you have these same personalities who are in this group who become people's sponsors or become the leaders of certain meetings. Yep. Yep. have as part of their personality this very either sociopathic or narcissistic or both uh-huh. part of their persona where they need to control you. And they need that for their own sense that they matter and they're going to test your allegiance to them. They're going to make you have to answer to them. They're going to intimidate you. They're going to also, which is a very common part of this one-on-one cult, not only are you supposed to defer to them, uh, not make decisions until you've talked to them, um, but you're also supposed to feel bad for them. Even though they're controlling you, they will oftentimes tell you some sort of sob story about them, that they've been through a terrible time or they've been abandoned or they've been misunderstood. So even though you're a bit scared of them or maybe a lot scared of them, they're also going to see if they can trigger your conscience so that you then don't want to do wrong by them and you don't want to then judge them or abandon them. They get you, it's like they get you coming and going, and you're stuck then. Um, And you then feel like you can't do anything without their say-so because if you do, you're going to make the wrong decision. It's like... Um, a cult within a cult. And you know, yes, yes. I think that I've seen, well, I've had experienced it happen to me with some people one-on-one, but with Al-Anon, um, there's a big, what I would consider a cult meeting. I went to Al-Anon briefly, nice small meeting in Culver City. There were about eight women. One guy would show up. One woman wouldn't even stay for the prayer. She's old lady, walk out with and you know, but they were not cultish, right? They talked about kind of whatever their loved one. But I had a friend who joined this meeting in um, over by the airport area. What's the name of that? Uh, Westchester, mm-hmm. and huge. And I did go to one huge meeting once. Oh my God, they're crazy. They are so batshit crazy. Mm-hmm. And I heard that it's connected to the Pacific Group, which is a huge. It's it's the the biggest cult meeting in the world ran by Clancy, right? That's his meeting. I mean, it's unbelievable. And they were being told they could only date men from the Pacific Group. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Oh, uh, yeah. Off, off air, we'll talk about something. I was going to tell you something. But, <laughs> okay. Um, that, that kind of stuff, Alan on women, they're either really great and do, or they are really super controlling. Mm-hmm. And I knew a therapist who was, became a doctorate, and she was in AA who chased movie stars like a stalker. Followed them, wound showed up at the bars where they were, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And so, I mean, I think you know, neither of us is saying that everyone there is bad and everyone is up to something, and every, of yeah, course no. not. No. But you're going to have these personalities that are going to be present there, or who are going to make sure that they're present there a lot, because then they know that there are people in that group, in that room who they can zero in on, who are in a more fragile state, who are being taught to become dependent on the program and the people there. It's like right. they're sitting ducks. It's, it's like people who are, who are um, narcissists, who are sociopaths, you know, they know who to zero in on. And they'll be able to read you. They're very good at reading people, and they're very good right. at noticing who right. they should target based on how you are with them, based on how you are with other people, they'll watch you. And so when I talk to people who have been in these, who have been the victim of them, and they say, what's wrong with me that I got sucked into this? I will often say, no, you were, it's not like you went searching for it. You were targeted by someone right. who is very good at it, and you are not the first person they've done this to. So they've gotten a lot of experience knowing how to do it. Um, and you just got caught up in kind of a well-oiled machine of psychosis. We are listening to Rachel Bernstein. Rachel is a therapist in MFCC in Encino, right, California. And we're talking with Rachel about uh, cults and different groups that are toxic. And she works with individuals and groups and has started a new group for people who have left a cult uh, in her practice and is also going to begin to do an online group in the future. Uh, I'm happy to be here talking to Rachel. I just wanted to mention your name again if somebody's listening. Um, yeah, so what are some of the things, how are you able to help? Like, what are, People come with you from all these different cults, whether it's Scientology or the Moonies or, you know, whatever. There's a lot of cult, yoga cults in California, too, um, yeah. and 12-step and, and individual abusive relationships, right? Um, so how do you work with people? Okay, so it's a great question. Because I'm not, <laughs> because I'm not a cult leader, and because I'm not something <laughs> as scripted as, <laughs> uh, I'd have a lot more money <laughs> yeah, if I were. Mm-hmm. Um, I get it. <laughs> um, uh, but I work with people who have often been fleeced, so I have trouble paying my own bills. Um, uh, so, in any case, um, I uh, I don't assume that it's ever a good idea to have the same pill for everyone, so to speak, right? Like mm-hmm, you know, with 12-step, mm-hmm. you have to follow by all these steps no matter what, no matter if you have um, psychological issues, no matter if you've been abused, no matter if you have a whole variety of different things that are wrong or you have an anxiety disorder, whatever, it's the same medicine for everyone. That is that, that is inherently problematic. So um, I... I find out first about that person's personality, their history, their emotional stability, um, and more about their particular experience before I know Mm -hmm. how to treat anyone. 
and how much they can tolerate and at what speed and at what tone I should use based on what they've been through also, to be very gentle or to be more direct. Um, and I'll tailor make it to that person, which is how I think therapy should be. I mean, that's actually from my background in education and special ed, right? You tailor right, it right. to that person and what they're, what, what's going to help them learn the most and the, the best. So um, I will sometimes meet with family members, other people who can give me some insight uh, with my client's approval. Then um, what I try to do is I try to assess safety if this person is um, being stalked, if this person is in danger, I'll try to help them get to safety first because we can't do therapy unless they really feel like they don't have to keep looking over their shoulder. Um, Mm -hmm. And then to address what a lot of people come in talking about right away, which is symptoms of post-traumatic stress. Um, And if you have this kind of buzzing in your head that's coming from this this coursing adrenaline through your system because of what you've been through, it's also very hard to do therapy. So I try to help people just learn how to relax. Once they're in a safe place, you know, let's figure out a way that you can just start to be relaxed enough just to think and hear what I'm saying. Then Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I want to teach them about methods of control. This is what you went through. This is maybe why you went through it. This is either if it was at the hands of a cult leader or one-on-one, this is why that cult leader or that person controlling you told you this and wanted you to believe that was true about you because it served their purpose, not yours, because it wasn't true. So I try to help people kind of peel off the diagnoses they were given about themselves, the things that they were told uh, were wrong about them, Mm, that are maybe really not so wrong. Usually personal strengths, like standing up for yourself, having an individual way of doing it and saying, no, that doesn't apply to me, or I'm going to just take this and leave the rest, that's all demonized. But those are personal strengths. So how to reverse it. Those aren't weaknesses. That's not a problem. That's not the devil. That's not whatever you've been told it is. That's actually your safety net. That's your mind. That's your critical thinking. Let's get that back. And let's get you to trust you hmm. and then I do a lot of cult education and a lot of hmm. cognitive kind of cognitive behavioral. It's sort of more old school, but still applies here. Hmm. This is what cults are. This is what mind control is. This is how it has shifted your behavior and the way hmm. you think about the world and the way you move about your day. And let's hmm. start, you know, teasing it apart and helping you get back to who you could be and who you want to be. You know, you could do some web stuff. Have you ever thought of doing like short, short to like three to five minute on the web, where you dress professionally and you film it, and then you just pop. You have a channel. Hmm. I don't know what your long term goal is, but yeah, you have a lot, lot, lot to help people, and you're very professional. And we need the world needs someone who is like you know. I'm like sort of this. I don't know what I am, but (laughs) (laughs) you're a good, good person and an activist, and you're really smart. And so I'm really glad you're doing this. Um, Yeah, I loved what you just said. Like that's all what. Like I was like, oh, Kevin, I don't really need much of it, you know. I mean, because I've been deprogramming. I've been I've interviewed so many professionals, but here's the other thing I say to people: you one read other books that are not of that mind that empower you. All the non-12-step other help empower you. 
uh, they so if you read that information and you read and I mean I must have read 15 books that were not about addiction written whether it was by Lance Stodes or Stanton Peel, uh, any book that um, Ilsa Thompson or but you read the I read the books or right? even the the manual for smart recovery or you mm-hmm. attend a meeting even if you don't really need help anymore you're sitting in an environment and your your mind is being filled up with really good shit like really healthy normal about empowerment and just that like really learning and i had to really learn those skills about someone who was controlling me at the end of a divorce and learn how to say no like that's you can't put that on me like it was really powerful but it was really you know random how i learned how to do it but mm-hmm. this is the kind of would be very cool like there uh, i'll show you this, uh, this person who started out with these stuff online but to see yeah. you and then talk about each subject would be I would love it. I I'll be happy to talk to you about that and how to I mean you're much more savvy in this. I'm just I'm working with people in my office sort of one-on-one or in groups so I haven't really thought about the web as much as I should and I would love to be able to do that. So yes, that is one of my goals to make to make my self available to share what I've come to learn over these many years. Um, I've learned so much from my clients. I mean, that's also what makes me different from a cult leader. I'm open <laughs> to learning, to shifting, to growing, to having it be where there is this dialogue back and forth. Um, right. I grow as a professional, as a human being from them, just as I hope they do from me, and it has to go back and forth. But you you brought up such an interesting point, and it's so perfect about reading other materials, getting other sources of materials, it also cuts down the dependency mm-hmm. because when you're dealing with a group that's supposed to be helping people with dependency, if this group is the only source of help, that's making sure they stay dependent. So you're offering them the choice of of needing to becoming like more dependent in order to get over dependency. I mean, the, the irony is palpable. But uh, I will tell people that if they go to a weekend retreat or if they go to like some group that talks about mysticism or some sort of church or whatever it is and they're not sure if it's a cult or not to be able to test it out in a, in a lot of ways but to be able to test it out in two fundamental ways one is if they have a library um and they're telling you not to access information about it online, and they're telling you not, not to research because everyone who has written something about it that's critical, well, there's something wrong with them, and they're going to keep you from being able to get the full effect that's positive you know, in this group if you access the material. Right? They don't want you to read what people are saying that's bad right. about this group. Right. But you go and you see if they have a library, um, and if the books are all written by one person, and if the videos are all by one person, and it's mm-hmm. the leader, or it's the person who started this or the person who's leading it now, then you want to find the exit as soon as possible. <laughs> what are some of the other? I know there's a small list, right? Okay, so the other one is test out to see the health of an organization, um, whether, again, if it's even a, a it could be a Bible-based group, should trust it because they're talking about God or whatever. Um, so you, you can test this out also in a one-on-one situation where mm-hmm. you do something very small and you just you say no. Mm-hmm. Um, and you see how that's received. 
because mm-hmm. you always in this world have the right to say no. Mm-hmm. And that's upheld by our Constitution. It should also be upheld by the organizations and that you get involved with and the people you get involved with. So if they say that they want you to make a commitment and you say no, I need to find out more first, or I don't want to have to make, make a commitment right now, I want to go home and think about mm-hmm. it, or no, mm-hmm. I don't agree with what you just said. A healthy mm-hmm. person would say, all right, well, you know, whatever, <laughs> it's fine with me. But an unhealthy person in an unhealthy organization will say, well, that's a huge mistake you're making right there. Mm-hmm. You're now giving up your one opportunity for fill-in-the-blank, happiness, peace, whatever, getting over an addiction, or you'll notice because it's going to piss them off mm-hmm. because then they can't tolerate any kind of dissension. They can't tolerate anything that feels like an ego injury. Mm-hmm. And you will know in that moment that you actually need to not walk away, you need to run. <laughs> okay. <laughs> What's the third one? <laughs> I'm writing them down. <laughs> <laughs> um, if you have to make sacrifices right away. Oh, yeah. Like, be of service. Mm-hmm. Be of service. Cut out people in your life who are not in support of you doing this or who don't like me if it's a one-on-one. Mm-hmm. Um, you need to look at them with criticism. Imagine that they're the ones getting in your way. And also, if the other one is if your history has been rewritten, if somehow mm. it was all bad before you were lucky enough to find mm. this group that could save you from these horrible people in your world, from your bad yep. family, from your yep. whatever it was, and mm-hmm. we are now your saviors from all of this. They can't be your savior unless your history was horrible. So if it's not horrible enough, they'll make sure to recreate it that way in your mind. Mm-hmm. This is very good. I'm, because the first one, I know there's a fourth, there may be more, but let me just say this quickly. So the books in AA can only be um, AA approved, general mm-hmm. service AA approved. But really... And so with the lawsuit, I just as I said this, I went, oh, my God, look at that link. That AA New York has really nothing to do with the groups here in California, but you cannot sell anything but New York AA-approved literature in their meetings. Huh, okay. But, so weird. Okay. Interesting. What, what yeah, else do you have? Good. <laughs> uh, right. So, you know, it's interesting because I, I, um, I think – Right away, you notice when you are involved with someone or involved with an organization that um, is potentially destructive, on the one hand, you're going to feel happy, excited. Usually, an organization like AA, you know, it feels it's sort of like this love bombing to a certain yeah. degree. Oh, how wonderful it is that you're here and we do care about you. And yes, there are genuine people there who genuinely care. Um, So you're going to feel that and you're going to get that and how nice. Um, And at the same time, same thing with a one-on-one, someone who is a sociopath or narcissist, they're going to put on this charm offensive right away and you're going to feel specially chosen to be with them. And Oh, it's so great. But at the same time, you're going to have some red flags. Something is going to trigger you. Uh And you're going to say, okay, wait, no, 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 that doesn't feel quite right here. And and the person or the organization is set up to know that that's going to happen, and they're going to make you feel 
that you're supposed to ignore those, that that mm-hmm. if you have doubts, if you're questioning anything here, then that's your negative thinking, that's your right. alcoholism. That's your disease talking to you. That's your disease talking to you, That's Rachel. your disease, right. But no, really? no, it's mm-hmm. not. That's your mind. That's your critical thinking saying, oh, wow, oh, my, no, that didn't, mm that shouldn't happen. People shouldn't say that to me. I shouldn't tolerate that. Or, mm-hmm. no, I'm not that. No one has a right to call me that. Um, mm-hmm. And why is someone screaming in my face? How is that supposed to help me? Um, right. And and so when you are robbed from being able to act on your own behalf and pick up on the red flags and let them change how you behave, like maybe you don't go back, um, if you're told that there's something wrong with you for mm-hmm. noticing those red flags and that's somehow diagnosed as your disease or something else, that's also a sign you want to watch out for. I've talked to so many people, over a thousand people who have been involved in cults over these many years, wow. who have said there were always red flags, but they were mm-hmm. told not to listen to them. They were told to not follow them. I don't know if I used this quote last time, but I think of it daily. There was a, a genius professor who is a cult expert. She's unfortunately passed away, Dr. Margaret Singer. Mm-hmm. Um, she was at Berkeley, and she said that when you're in a controlling system, when you're in a cultic kind of mind control system, you learn to deny the evidence of your senses. Mm-hmm. And you then can't act on your own behalf. You're kept from it. You're, ha- you're, you're really made to be handicapped. Um, until you finally have those red flags start to come back to the forefront. I would tell anyone in a situation like that who's listening now that if you had those moments of criticism in your own mind, like, hmm, or just even a feeling in the pit of your stomach, it it could register somewhere else, not in your mind. It could be a tension in your shoulders. It could be a headache. It could be a nausea. It could be a lot of different things because we react physiologically to these things too. Right. Mm, That means you need to take a moment and you need to think about it and maybe write it down. Like, what is it that makes made you feel that way? And if you're not sure and if you feel like you're going to be going back to another meeting or going back to that person who's controlling you, mm, mm, try to be very careful about noticing when you start getting that feeling again. What is it that, that happened or what is it that that person said or did that triggered that? Because so, that means something is off and your body's trying to tell you that. Wow. It's really been great having you on. We'll have to do it again. Um, We have a minute left. So we've been talking with Rachel Bernstein, and you can find her uh, in Encino. And she has a uh, practice out there. And I just want to – should I give out your number? Sure. Okay, 818-907-0036. It's 818-907-0036. She has a website, and it's Rachel Bernstein, B-E-R. S-T-E-I-N, therapy.com. A wonderful, wonderful professional woman that's helping people who've left cults. I want to thank you so much, Rachel, for uh, coming on the show again. We'll do some more and for creating uh, your group that you have created and how you're helping um, many, many people. And I'm sure that we'll 
get you out there that you will have many, many more who've been looking for you for a long time. I so know again, they have. I apologize. Thank you so much, and uh, we will see you all in a couple of weeks. Again, I'm Monica, Monica Richardson. This is Blog Talk Radio, Safe Recovery. You can find it, listen free on iTunes or here or download it on your phone anytime. Thanks, Rachel. I'll talk to you soon. Great. Thanks, Monica. Thank you. Goodbye. Bye-bye. Goodbye, everybody. See you next time.